is up, Internet? Welcome to the only podcast about movies. I, as always, am Matthew Kroll. And I am Shahir Dan. And uh, this week, we decided to do something a little bit different. And by we, I mean Shahir decided we were going to do something a little bit different. Hey, you know, we have a choice of movies every week we can right. see. And we looked at the list, and, and the list included Entourage. Right. Spy. Oh, yeah. Insidious Chapter 3. <laughs> yeah. Uh, love and mercy. Uh, sure. Yeah. And there's always Aloha in San Andreas, just but then, looming. But then there was this one title on there, which uh, well, let me read the title out to you. Sure. A pigeon sat on a branch, reflecting on existence. Now I want you, the listener, to really get into my headspace because <laughs> Shahir and I text during the day, like, "What film do you want to do this week?" Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and we were going through all the names he listed before, and then he said this one, and. I mean, if that doesn't reek of art film, uh, I don't know what does. But uh, to be honest, Shahir, I was actually very excited to see this film. I, I said when we were texting back and forth, I'm like, this will be nice because I'm like the last two movies like Mad Max. I didn't know it'd be as good, but I kind of knew what to expect. Kung Fury, I knew exactly what to expect. And if we'd picked Entourage, Spy, or Insidious 3, you would, you'd know, I would what know to exactly what to expect. Now, here's the thing. So the reason we picked a pigeon uh, sat on a branch reflecting existence, can we hyphenate that to? A uh, I-P-S-O-A-B-R-O-E. Doesn't spell shit. <laughs> we'll just call it a pigeon sat on a branch. Okay. Now, the reason I picked that film is that many years ago, I was in New Zealand, and I walked in completely blind. Uh, I didn't know what was playing. I, didn't, I hadn't seen a poster or anything to a film called Songs from the Second Floor, which is directed by Roy Anderson, a... Swedish filmmaker who also happened to direct this week's film, A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence. Or and as I would like to abbreviate it, Absabaran. 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 That's the anagram or It's just called whatever. The Pigeon. Yeah, The Pigeon Movie. The Pigeon Movie. All right. And the reason I wanted to do this film uh, was because seeing songs from the second floor was probably one of the best cinema experiences that I ever I'd ever experienced. You've told me. I I I walked out of that feeling a joy for cinema that I hadn't experienced in a while. I was elated. It was something I'd never seen before. I laughed. I was happy, and I kind of felt like there was so many possibilities as a filmmaker. There was so many things that this film did. And and it, it wasn't a hugely popular or successful film, and I felt like I'd made a discovery. Okay, okay. But then, uh, as it turns out, with uh, Roy Anderson, he's actually a very pro uh, prolific filmmaker. And A Pigeon Sat on the Branch Reflecting on Existence. Boy, that's a mouthful. Well, listen. <laughs> this is a Swedish film. Yeah, it is a Swedish film. Uh, the second Swedish film we've reviewed on yeah. the only podcast about movies, uh, and we've only done three episodes. Wow. So, biased? Yeah, you be the judge. I think uh, Sweden, the air, the Swedish airline, should uh, should sponsor us and maybe Ooh. fly us out to Sweden to do a podcast episode. There. I will if if <laughs> if they would like to do that. The offers on the table. I will review any film <laughs> your country puts out. Uh, look, there's a lot of Swedish films I like anyway. But but a pigeon sat on the project is not a small film. It has it has won a number of awards. It's very well reviewed, um, but it's not one of these things is not like the other. Mad Max, Kung Fury. Of course. Uh, well, they're and, all kind of not like the, each other. Yeah. So I had I knew what I was getting into with a pigeon sat on a branch. What, what did what was your preconceived note? What did you think when you heard the title? Uh, like I said before, it's sort of like art house. Art, Definitely you know, art house. Yeah. Um, and I I tend to go back and forth on on art house. I mean, calling something an art film is kind of the dumbest thing one can do, I feel. Okay, well, let's, let's go on a scale. Let's say 
let's say No Country for Old Men is kind of a hybrid art house. How would you? How do you feel about that film? Uh, no, it's good. I like No Country for Old Men. I mean, that's that's a fine movie. But again, I, back to my point, calling a film an art film is just is just a way of saying, oh, you really have to think about this to enjoy it. That's really kind of what it is. And, and that's, not to, that's not to say everyone will enjoy it if they think about something hard yep. enough, any art film. I'm saying, like, if you're meant to enjoy it or if it speaks to you in a way, art film, art house cinema is sort of like that thing where it's like, if, if uh, let's say, Entourage is your <laughs> really delicious instant mac and cheese, this is like the seven-course meal that you spent four days preparing for. Or, like, or maybe sometimes you spent $400 on, and sometimes you like it, and sometimes you're like, you well, know that's what? what, I, I really want a cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so going in, I had that sort of expectation, uh, and I'd never seen anything from the director. I'd never seen you know anything like that. Um, and overall, I do have to say that, um, this is where my opinion of it gets complicated. Mm -hmm. It's a really good film that I didn't enjoy. I can totally see that. Uh, there's no question about this movie, uh, that it's, it's masterfully done in what it's trying to do. Um, I just don't think what it's trying to do is for me. Um, so I'm going to try. Uh, real quick, if you don't mind, to break down this movie, and I was about to say tell this movie's plot, mm -hmm. but it don't have one, really. It has a minor, minor plot. Uh, it's what, 39 vignettes, Is it, okay. uh, something like that. I yeah. think I caught that off of the interwebs. Um, uh, basically talking about or showing you, really, the absurdity of human existence, which seems right up my alley. I think that's something that I would enjoy, and I enjoyed some of it. Um, and through these vignettes, some of them sort of tie back into each other, and there's characters you sort of follow throughout, which we'll be discussing in a little bit, but some of them are just like an older dude smoking a cigarette out a window and a younger girl coming up that uh, that looks like they're sort of coupley smoking the cigarette with them. They smoke, they stare out the window, and that's it. Now... It's important when saying, oh, 39 vignettes, that's fucking weird for a film. Like, mm -hmm. why isn't this a web series <laughs> yeah. or something else? Uh, it's, it's first, first and foremost, without getting too much into the art direction of it, but the cinematography in this, there's no camera movements. Mm -hmm. It's all static shots. And it doesn't cut around in these vignettes. You, The one shot is what you get. Um, so it takes a minute to sort of get into that groove. Mm -hmm. Um and that was something that I found very interesting and and sort of nice. But then the order of them and then the sort of recurring stuff versus not recurring stuff, uh, some of it, some stuff felt super meaningful and some stuff really felt like filler to me. Right. Um, I've been talking for a while. What did you think of the film? And, and, and so my experience is coming from a slightly different place, which is that I've seen this director's work before. Right. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his work. Sure. Um, one thing about Roy Anderson is, uh, you know, he's a prolific filmmaker, but he's also an amazing commercial director. And if you could go on the web, look at his commercials, they're hysterical. Mm -hmm. Um, they're really worth watching. So I kind of knew what I was in for. Right. And having the, uh, a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence is the third of a trilogy of films, and I've seen the other two. The first is Songs from the Second Floor, that you know that film I told you I went into completely right, right. blind. The second was a film called You the Living, um, which is, again, following the same theme of absurdity of life. And, and all three films are kind of like, 
they feel to me like they take place in some sort of purgatory where past, present, future collide into some sort of odd, you know, nether realm. Wait, wait, wait. If this is the third film, am I walking into this like someone who hasn't seen a Marvel movie going to see Avengers? Like, did I miss a big point here? Like, who the hell is is that sea captain? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Turned barber. You you don't need to see these films in any order. They're not connected only... They're only connected thematically. So would you say... And I'm going to go highbrow, lowbrow here. Yeah. This is the highbrow equivalent to the, uh, what is it, Cornetto trilogy? Yeah. Actually, that's a really good, exa- yeah, that's a really good comparison. Okay, yeah. Good. Well, in a highbrow, lowbrow way. The other right. the other film I was going to mention maybe in a trilogy, although not in the same way, was uh, Christoph Kieslowski's Red, White, and Blue trilogy. Mm, or yeah. even he, his other, like, you know, a fil- short film about love, a short film about death. Um, okay. Yeah. Or he has a whole other um the, the, the trilogy of films that are based on Bible stories, which I'm going completely mm-hmm. blank on. That's right fine. Now. But, but, but so they're thematically connected, mm-hmm. they're stylistically connected, but they're not story connected. You right. don't, you, you don't need to stay to, to, through the credits to see who's, what's going to happen in the next film. Good. Um, so this is the third part of the trilogy. Um, I have to say, I adored songs from the second floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked You the Living a little bit less. I went in very, very high expectations on sure. that one. I went in with possibly lower expectations this time around. But I, you know, there's this funny thing when you take someone to a movie that you love, you're always kind of like looking over your <laughs> shoulder going, geez, I hope they like this movie. Yep. Otherwise, they might not like me anymore. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm gathering from now, you, I'm never getting to pick the movie. <laughs> no, of course you can. Dude. Look, look, as, for as much as I, I tolerated this film, and not, not even tolerate, there's parts of it I really liked. We'll get into it. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's good. It's good to see different stuff. Like we said, if we went to see Entourage, we would have known exactly what I. I've watched what six seasons of Entourage. This isn't going to be different. This is just going to be updated. Do I still want to see that? Yes. I love mac and cheese. We all but, love a good cheeseburger. But you know, every once in a while, you like to try a new restaurant, and exactly. this was it's- definitely a new restaurant. This is the if if uh, Sleep No More New York City served food. This would be that restaurant. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a different experience. But it's, uh, you know, I think it's something pretty interesting. And like it's it's a, a film that that makes you think about life. You right. Know? Like, and if if you're willing to give it the time, it really has a lot to say. Because, uh, you know, like I would say, um, I heard this old saying that um, a screenplay is not in the words that are on the page. It's in the space that's around the words. Mm. Uh, you know, like the blank space around the words is really where the screenplay is. Okay. You know, and the idea there is is that it's not what's said, it's what's not said. You know, and how much a film <sighs> lets you think on your, you know, like gives you gives you just enough to start you thinking. See, now we're getting into stuff that I sort of disagree with. Well, we can disagree a, a lot. Uh, and, and but but let me finish. Sure, my, I'm my, sorry. My, sorry, my my point here is that this is a film that is about the absurdity of life and the absurd and the the prospect of what death could offer you, mm-hmm. and it it gives you basically the broad strokes of ideas and and it gives you a lot of absurd ideas almost in a monty python kind of way you know like it it takes uh death to its most absurd limits of course it's monty python-esque but with like 20 percent of the comedy let's not let's not there's funny moments in it there's there's chuckle worthy moments but you you won't have a belly laugh in this film although that there was one gentleman behind us was very he he, was loving it he enjoyed every and i have to admit when i saw songs from the second floor for the first time i did belly laugh there there are definitely funniest sequences in songs from the second floor you didn't take me to that movie shahir like for example uh in songs from the second floor there's 
there's a scene where a magician is performing the soaring a person in half act. Okay. And it goes the worst possible way, and we follow the character who gets cut. Oh, that's <laughs> like awesome. Like through throughout the rest of the film, and it's hysterical. It's great. Um, this doesn't quite have that. I think no. this has got a more somber tone to it. Um, it's a lot darker than the other than the other two films. Um, well, yeah. I, so before we sort of get into, I mean, we've just sort of said what we think generally of the movie. Now, chances are you probably haven't seen this film and you're probably like, I still have no clue what it's about or what it's even, you know, trying to say or what it could even mean altogether. So we did something a little different uh, at Shahir's behest. Uh, <laughs> Shahir whipped out uh, his microphone uh not that other thing he normally does at movie theaters hey, and comfortable, hey, comfortable. And, we, uh, and we asked some people some questions on the street after the fact uh they shall remain nameless but uh we're gonna play that for you right now just sort of what what other people thought of uh the good old-fashioned uh a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence here we go here's regular people uh what was about life um i i think it was very funny i was very impressed about the art direction and the framing and composition and everything but also sometimes i I was laughing at things that i I, it made me think uh well this this is actually kind of sad what's going on right now but it it was i don't know it brought a smile to me it seemed to be about missed chances missed connections really to, to a large degree and cruelty of the past was much more organized than cruelty in the present it was pretty amazing i was super engaged the whole time and i was thinking about it from a structural point of view like how is this how is this made and it's like pretty pretty incredible like i i, I want to watch it again to try to figure out how it's made but I was thinking about the Maisel Brothers, The Salesman, which is like one of the first documentaries, and about how that's this profound sort of journey into failure, like the salesman who's not a good salesman. And I think this film references that a number of times. Like I was thinking about how like the creation of art comes out of pain, right? Like good art is someone's pain, sort of like made into something beautiful. And I felt like that was like another like part of what was being said. There were many funny parts. Uh, there were also kind of depressing parts. I guess it's sort of, um, you have to look at life with a sense of humor or self, or else it's going to be dreadfully depressing. So first up, I just want to say thank you to everyone who talked to us uh, after the screening. It's, I know it's a hard thing to do to like get a microphone in your face and, and say, you know, like, what did you think of the movie or what was it about? Put but, yourself on the line. But but just thank you to everybody yeah, there. Yeah, thanks guys and girls. Um, yeah, uh, so here's what I gathered from that little snippet uh this movie could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people and something again that what is traditionally known as sort of art house cinema is very good at is being abstract with what it sort of means or whatnot now or or maybe maybe so much as the filmmaker wants you to feel a bunch of different things and is basically in this case it's so weird to say this, but like is throwing a lot at a wall and hoping some sticks uh, in a sense, like, you know, the one of the gentlemen was saying how, you know, he thought things were funny, but then he felt uncomfortable that he thought things were funny. And one dude focused on what I would consider the two main characters of the film, the two salesmen uh, that you see throughout the picture. Um and uh, actually, it's funny. He's called them bad salesmen. I didn't ever think they were bad salesmen. 
it's because the the tone of the film just real quick like no one s- speaks fast no one is smiling no you know it's very somber and very sort of like this is what's happening now and we'll keep talking like this actually some people smile in some of the musical there's a musical number um but uh I never thought of them as failures. I actually just thought they were going ups and downs because in some parts they they had were talking to people that sold that they had sold things to, and in other parts they were talking to people that they couldn't sell to. Uh, although they always had money problems, I don't know. So, well, the the, the this is where I'm going to disagree with you to to right off the bat, which is I I think you you're referring to this film as like someone trying to throw things at the wall and seeing what sticks. I, you know, like you even mentioned at the beginning that this is this is a masterfully made film, right? And I think this is exactly the film that this director wanted to make, which is that it is an open discussion about life and absurdity, like, and, and it's structured in the in the exact way he wants it to. Right. Be. Well, a film can't be a discussion, though. I I think this film provokes discussion. In yes. The way no. No. That film. Always provokes discussion. Yeah. That's why we're here. Hi, we're yeah. doing a podcast. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like... It, it, sorry, continue your thought. No, no. I, I, and I think, I think this is a very purposefully made film. This is not a guy... You know, like, if you're in Hollywood, you're not looking at Roy Anderson's film and going, you know, I wonder if he could direct an Avengers movie. You're, you're, this, is, this is a guy who makes these kinds of films. And, yeah. and he is the only person that makes these kinds of films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I would say... You know, if you're looking for a Hollywood contemporary, the only person that comes to mind, and it's cliche to say right away, but is like that later Stanley Kubrick, you know, like the the much later Stanley or, uh, Kubrick. Or Wes Anderson, he, or he tries to hit this, I don't I, think he does. I, I think Wes Anderson is much more commercially driven than than this film ever will Sure, want no, to I'll be. agree with that. I'm and just... I, and I, I think late Stanley Kubrick is probably closer to... Mm. You know, like 2001 A Space Odyssey or um, even Barry Lyndon or yeah. something like that. You know, like, I, and the funny thing is, I, I was thinking about this the other day because the, the kind of humor that's in Songs from the Second Floor and maybe a little bit less so in this film really does remind me of Dr. Strangelove a little bit. It is, mm. it is about people, it, it's about uncomfortable humor, you know, like um, uh, people doing something that is funny only in its droll and dry and unfunny approach and right. i and i was thinking that if stanley kubrick was alive today i think he would find this pretty funny because it is you know like it is in the same it, it, the comedy is reflective of the sure, way human sure. beings are you know have an ability to fail um and i think that's what's funny about it you know like he he has like a, a an an overall view of human of human beings right um, uh, so here's, this is sort of the, the, I don't particularly disagree with any one thing you're saying. When I say when I, you know, throwing things to the wall and seeing what sticks, yeah. there are definitely deliberate yeah. things being said by the man. That's not the question. But when you have such a broad sort of topic of, oh, this is about the absurdity of life. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the. That to me says, uh, I'm going to like. Well, not even that. Let's let me back up a bit. There are certain vignettes in this thing 
that I'm like, oh, this is what he's trying to say. This is how he's doing it. And it's all very done well. And then there's some that's just like filler that that sort of made me sort of I, I haven't seen a film in such a long time that I lost interest in and gained interest in back and forth throughout. Yeah. Like there was parts where I was looking at my watch, but then there was parts that I was completely engrossed and it wasn't following specific characters and it yeah. wasn't doing whatever. But just certain ones of the vignettes really worked and didn't work for me. And I think some of them he had a really strong thing. And another one, he's like, this is just a really pretty human moment. Yeah. I'm going to let them think what they want. But that to me doesn't with the strength of sort of his message from the other ones, then it's just like, oh, slice of life. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I, it's funny because I thought I found that, and listen, and before we go on as well, I actually don't disagree with you that the film did was a difficult watch. And it was, and it, you know, like again, I wasn't as engaged as I was with right. Songs for the Second Floor. Um, and, and I could argue, like, you could take scenes from Songs from the Second Floor and throw them into the middle of this mm-hmm. film, and it would feel like... You wouldn't like, know. Yeah, you wouldn't tell the difference. So when I say I love Songs from the mm-hmm. Second Floor, I think I love the scenes that were in Songs from the Second Floor more than some right. of the scenes that were in this film. And I agree, there are a couple of scenes where, you know, people are just, like, lying on a beach with a dog behind them, you know, like... Looking just copping like a feel. Just copping a feel, looking like they're about to have sex, and then it just... That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I... Th- found in this film what I liked about those scenes is that they every other scene seemed to be about death and those scenes seemed to be about life uh, and that's you know like when I was watching the film in its totality that's what I that's what I felt when I watched them that it was like oh this is a beautiful moment of life of life being lived of things of of the possibility of life whereas every other scene seemed to be about the the approach approaching of death um I agree that those were very the the short ones were sort of the more life sort of full, full ones. I don't think every other scene was about death. I think um, there's a sequence. Uh, oh, by the way, if you haven't seen this, now is the time where we're just going to keep spoiling. But I don't even know if you can spoil this thing. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to talk about scenes, but it's so <laughs> it's not even abstracts the wrong word. It's so non non-linear almost and not cohesive in a in a in a, in a story way yeah. in a story way that spoiling like, this would be difficult it's like if we were going to have a discussion about a razor head you would ha- you would tell everything that happens in a razor head right yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 uh so there's a sequence of vignettes that they keep calling back to sometimes crossing characters in and out um that you've seen or not seen whatever um, where it's a series of people on the phone in various states of emotion saying the same line of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you're doing fine, or something along you know, those what, lines. What I love about... Oh, sorry. Let me yeah, yeah. So, so that's over and over and over and over again. I think it might happen like six times, or maybe seven. If it did, if it happened less, it yeah. felt like more. Uh, and those didn't grab me as much because that, to me really sort of like was like oh this is your this is your callback gag you're doing yeah and it was funny like the second or the third time then after the situation sort of got more and more ridiculous uh I I just didn't care anymore. Like he already made his point of, and this is what I think his sort of point is in that, is that like we talk to people in our lives, you know, every day that you know we say sort of pleasantries and we don't really give a fuck about, and we're like, well, you know, whatever. And we could be doing anything, which is 
sort of not really paying attention to what the other person's saying or feeling. We're like, well, no, no, I'm just glad you're doing okay. That's great. Okay, cool. Like, I get that, but I got it beforehand. Like, I don't need to keep seeing it and seeing it, seeing. I don't need to see a rich dude in in like a mahogany office all of a sudden, like holding a gun on the phone, uh, doing. Then nothing happens. Nothing happens. But but to me, that scene was kind of you know like every time we saw it, we were basically seeing the other side of that conversation in different ways and forms. You know, like so. The first time we see that person, we see we see a woman basically scrubbing the floor, saying, "Oh, it's nice to hear that you're doing fine." Well, she's off. She sounds. She's crying. She sounds yeah. off. She sounds yeah. sad. And then the next time we see it, we see this. <laughs> this sounds so. Yeah, again, like every film we've talked about so far, it, it, the, the the second you try to describe the plot, you sound like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. But we see uh, a, a a captain, a sailboat. A ferry ship captain who's had a passenger die, right? Who's decided to become a barber, uh, pick up the phone and and say, "Oh, it's nice to hear that you're doing fine." And it feels like they're they these two people are talking to each other. Oh no, I didn't feel like that at oh, really? all. Because no. we cut we cut to another woman later on who's. But who, they're all just saying, "I'm glad you're doing fine." It'd and, be very and weird. And then eventually we see, yeah, the the man with the mahogany, uh, you know, in the mahogany room with the gun, and I like I felt like he was the guy. That if you didn't make that phone call that day, he would have killed himself. And it was just like, it reminded me of like sometimes the conversations you have where you're like, you got to call this person and you don't really want to sometimes. Right. And, you know, like, you know, but you have to do it. And it just, <laughs> um, so it kind of reminded me of that. And, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes the jokes go on a little long in this film. You know what it was? Here's the deal. Because I'm a fan of beating the horse to death. Yeah. But here's... I. I think he 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 while he was masterful in in a lot of things I think the beating the horse to death part of his humor yeah the, his timing is off in the sense of if you're going to do this yeah do it because the joke was funny and then it sank and what is supposed to happen when you beat a dead horse is you keep beating it and beating it and beating it and beating it and beating it until it's funny again. He, for probably length reasons or, or time or other things he wanted to say, never built it back up for me to be funny again. That's that's a pretty actually that's a pretty good accurate analysis. Um, like I think that that joke in particular, it it starts out strange. Yep. It gets funny. Then Second kinda, or third one's funny. Then it gets like annoying, and then it doesn't quite. It need maybe one more beat for that joke to really. A couple more beats, I and, think, and more absurd. And also because the last one, I think, or what the last one I remember anyway, that that sort of told me, oh, you're not supposed to be laughing at this. Yeah, uh, is the monkey scene. There's a scene yeah. uh, where it's a scientist with a monkey strapped to this metal thing with electrodes in its head, and it's electrocuting it on a timer. Now, granted, it was an animatronic monkey, but it looks pretty damn good um and she's just doing the whole well i'm glad to hear that you're doing fine and the monkey's just uh and it's and that was honestly and there's two disturbing scenes in the film and uh that was i you know that was that was hard to watch it was uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable Um, scene to watch and but funny at the same like uncomfortably funny yeah but 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 i think that that at the end was starting to it became it was trying to make more of a statement and less yeah. of a comedy than the joke field. I don't know. I, I my my one forgiving you know like my one ration and I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. it kind of didn't it didn't play to like you know it's a Friday night. I'm sure. tired. I need this to like land kind of moments. Maybe yeah. if I if I caught that in a matinee or something, I might have really like thought about it. But but my one thing is is that this is a director who does understand comedy very well. If yes. You watch, if you watch his commercials, yeah. No, there's they, no doubt he's funny. They, they land like like you wouldn't believe. 
Um, and this so, one just didn't for me. Uh, well, and I think maybe, you know, like the thing to think about is that this is a guy who's made a lot of commercials in his life, mm -hmm. is a, you know, like has made a lot of short films and that sort of thing, that his feature films aren't the place for him to like tell jokes. His jokes, his jokes are going to have more dips to them or be less funny and more contemplative than they are, you know, like th than they are going to be just like, ha ha ha, you know? Yeah, but then at the same time, yeah. Comedy. And this is your first experience with right. him, so maybe maybe if I'd shown you his commercials beforehand. Maybe, but yeah. here's the deal: I liked going into it cold, um, which none of you listening, if you're going to go watch it, you're not going to go in cold now. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk. You know, I could I could nitpick what I didn't like about it, and that's all personal nonsense. Again, like I said, I think it's a very masterfully crafted film, and I'd actually like to get into talking about uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about it, which was the art direction of the film. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into that right now. We're gonna start with more. Or man on the street, woman on the street. Sometimes uh, stuff about about this film. Uh, Apso Abaran, I believe. Uh, <laughs> a pigeon sat on a branch, reflecting on existence. Here's what people thought about the look. I mean, I was thinking stylistically, like like the vision and the like. It's like a Wes Anderson kind of like so stylistically shot and created. It kind of reminded me of the kind of worlds he creates, but it just felt like a like a Swedish, like I lived in Sweden for a little while and like it felt true to that as a place and to that. Uh, it, I was saying before, it reminded me of dioramas, you know, when you're in third grade and you've got the shoebox and you like make something where you could look around because everything was in focus and it, it all had that kind of cardboard lack of life, lack of color kind of look. It also seems to be something that, an antique thing that was discovered in someone's attic. Look, it's it's 80 years old. No one's seen it. What is it? The movie visually reminded me very much of like Edward and the mood of Edward Hopper paintings. You know, very geometric, uh, very lonely. All these closed doors, and, and it set the, the same kind of mood as a lot of Hopper pictures, including you know his street scenes. They're just kind of empty and desolate. You know that people occupy these spaces, but there's kind of also nobody there. Yeah. It's a weird feeling. I remember when I saw Songs for the Second Floor and then I went back and watched all those commercials. Uh, all of Roy Anderson's work looks like these, which is that they're, you know, like as someone described it, they're like live dioramas. Sure. They have that kind of art-directed storybook quality to them. But the other thing that I love about uh, his work is that this this uh, this depth of feel that he yeah. creates. You know, like in, in single shots, you'll see all the way back down you know, like sometimes in Songs from the Second Floor, there's this one striking shot where you can see almost a mile down the street. Yeah. And there's a gag where like something is happening a mile down the street that reflects upon what's happening in the foreground. Okay. And it like travels all the way across the scene. Yeah. And he uses like the entire three dimensions. And I, I always think of Wes Anderson as a two dimensional filmmaker. Very and, much and, so. You know, and, and that's not meant to be pejorative or, or a negative thing. That's just his his work. Pejorative? He looks like he's let's, trying. Let's keep it to three point words here. <laughs> he, he, he looks like he's making work that that is very flat, but it's just his, his storybook theater driven style. Now, Roy Anderson makes work that look like they're done in three-point perspective. You know, like right. they're very like you can see all the way out to the horizon line. Sure. And and the one thing, you know, that I've been researching about his work is that it's so meticulously crafted. Because if you think about the way a camera shoots depth of field, mm -hmm. you know, you need to like have the camera stopped all the way down. Yeah. So you need so much light to yeah. be able to see down there. And what you think that this film, you know, what these scenes are is that they're just beautifully lit and shot. They're actually entirely constructed sets. Yeah. 
You know, like the 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 well, thing... except for some of the exteriors, but well, and in fact, in those exteriors, the the far distance will be a painting. Oh wow! Okay, you know, like and, and that's how you'll do, and it'll, it'll actually be created on a set. You know, and the, that's great. You know, and it's all beautifully constructed and well well thought out, and and. I I actually just I love looking at Roy Anderson's work. Well, here's the deal with Roy Anderson. This is what I'm going to say, and and, and Roy Anderson, if you ever listen to this podcast, I want you to listen to this noise. <laughs> That's me cracking a beer to you, sir, because you have proven something with this film that I have been arguing uh, with certain people for a very long time. And it's on your soul, depth of field uh, thing you said, Shahir. Uh, Mr. Anderson, you have proved, or should I say, Mr. Anderson, you have proved that film was already a 3D medium. <laughs> we don't need stupid fucking glasses. Yeah. We don't need gimmicks flying out at our face unless we're at Universal Studios. This film was a completely shot in 3D film. And I don't mean what everyone else means when they say that. You go to this and you see depth. You see the third dimension. And it's immersive as well. And it's it's totally immersive. It is like you're looking inside of a diorama. And it's, uh, yeah. And it's beautifully bleak. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I like how the older a character this is more of a makeup thing, but yeah. I'm sort of getting off. Every thing. character, but, yeah. yeah. And the older a character was, the more white cake makeup was on their face. They look like death. Or the, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you got a you got a real sense of like where these people were and 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 what time period in their life was going on based on the bleakness of it. And that was something that was very interesting to me because you know you look back at your life so far, uh, and you you know you I feel like. I do, and I think everyone does, the whole nostalgia thing. I mean, Don Draper said it best. It's like that nostalgia is that place you're aching to go uh, again, I should say. And you look back at your life, you're like, man, my life was awesome back then, when your life is probably pretty good right now. And you always are looking back, always are looking back, trying to see. I mean, I know some people always sort of look forward, but that's not the sort of thing I'm talking about. It's just this film did a very good job of, of showing you at what point in your life most people will feel the best and the worst yeah i think yeah, uh, so anyway along with that and the 3d the 3dness of it without being gimmick 3d uh mr anderson uh, cheers to you buddy that was that was yeah. some good shit <laughs> uh and you know the fine you know in addition to that i also really like the way he uses the space you know like you'll see something there's stuff going on way the other side a lot of yeah. times and it's really fun yeah yeah and it'll be like you know like you'll see a couple fighting in the background where right. a guy in the foreground is trying to like find his way to a restaurant mm-hmm. and then the cu- there's this couple that you've seen in other scenes are, fu- are having a fight and they're breaking up yeah and it's this it's this great play on space as well you know like he really does use as you say, the full three dimensions of space. Right, and uh, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed he that that's what that's what kept bringing me back to the times when I was getting pulled out. It wasn't necessarily the story or, or the minor story or the characters or, or thinking what does it all mean, you know, whatever. It was the way the film looked. If you like pretty cinema and if you like well thought out, meticulous sort of set driven or art direction or anything like that, this is a film you will really enjoy. Yeah. Um. It's one of those things where you don't particularly need a story. It'd be interesting, you know, like in the in the way that you, you know, maybe the story kind of turned you off. If imagine if, yeah, if Wish Anderson made a film that looked like this and played with depth like this 
with one of his stories, or or you know something, some other filmmaker, you know. Maybe I don't know. I don't, imagine I, imagine a war film that had this look. Sure, I, I guess you could argue that uh, Full Metal Jacket might be kind of, but there's yeah. but I you know it, there's something to be said about no camera movement. Uh, it really makes it feel like you're in you're not you're 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 not experiencing something. Yeah. You not in the same way that you would experience. So like film is a lot of times about immersion, and it's trying to make you feel like you're a character or you're there to make you emotionally involved in it, and therefore enjoy the experience of watching it, or at least feel what the person making it wants you to feel. This is different. You're not experiencing it. You're completely and utterly just being an observer into it. It's funny as well because the rules. You know, like when you get taught the rules of cinema. You, you get taught that there's this language that creates, like, uh, a connected reality that sure. works. Mm-hmm. And this is a film that kind of just doesn't even, you know, we don't, you know, there's no cutaway. There's no over here, you know, there's no, like, uh, shot, yeah. reverse shot or anything. Yeah. The whole conversations happen in one single frame. Yeah. And it's completely immersive and it completely works, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it it goes to show that, the you know, like, the things you get taught in film school necess- aren't necessarily true, you know, if... If you are a good craftsperson well, and you think about your right. art, but then here's here's the here's the flip side of that. I'll say, uh, the art direction for me saved this film, <laughs> but uh, a film overall is a sort of collaborative process. That if you want it to be a, if in my opinion, if you want it to be a phenomenal film, all of these things have to come together and affect the person that is watching it. For me, it was only one or two things done very very well. Yeah, uh, to do that now, and and you can't, it's not fair to say like, well, what if it, what if this film was shot like a different? Well, well yeah. it wasn't, dummy yeah. me. So <laughs> you know, like that's unfair to say. But at the same time, when I think back to like a film that I truly, really enjoy, yeah, all of the things come together for me. Well, here I guess you know the other side of it is is you know like I've talked a lot about songs from the second floor, and songs from the second floor has this like has a couple of very, very powerful scenes that have, like, stayed with me and will stay with me for the rest of my life. And then there's, uh, there's in fact, there's one scene in Songs from the Second Floor where they have camera movement, and it's a really powerful use of camera movement where a scene, you know, like something that was still was set upon a train tracks and suddenly we move away as another character changes. And I, I think that was pretty powerfully handled. But this film... A pigeon set on a branch reflecting on its existence. Use the anagram. What is it? A suburb rubbery? <laughs> Apso Abron. Apso Abron. The pigeon film yeah. um, has, I think, probably the most powerful scene that he's ever filmed. And I, I, you, there's one scene in particular. Which one? You, oh, that you, one. You know the one. Yeah. Um, which is is just, it works on so many levels. It is. It begins as devastating, it turns into horrific, it becomes kind of funny, and then it becomes hauntingly beautiful, and then somewhat depressing. Uh, Depressing's not the right word, but it makes you look at yourself in a sort of depressing way. I just felt so much transformation in that scene as it progressed on. Right. Uh, Shall we describe the scene? Yeah, yeah. Because look, I, I, normally this is a joke, but we are the only mm. pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence podcast. Like I'll put money on that. <laughs> uh, so obviously, we have to tell you about the quintessential scene. This, this, to me, this scene is worth the price of admission. So let's see if I can do it. Uh, so there are 
Sweet. Now, I I'll, I actually read what the scene is supposed to represent. Okay. Um, but tell I'll, me because I don't know. Uh, well, I'll, t- I'll describe it first, and then I'll I'll say. It. So there's a bunch of uh, white dudes in safari getups, mm-hmm. uh, pushing a bunch of African American people into uh, a giant cylinder. Are they African Americans or were they were they slaves from another country? I mean, from, oh like, maybe was it, was I don't European? know. It could have been slaves. Slaves. Yeah. They're pushing slaves into this giant metal cylinder with all these horns on it. And they put them in, and then they lock it up. This is men, women, children. They're whipping them and getting them in there. And then they uh, they throw a torch into a pit that this thing is hanging over, and it lights up what must be a big oil pit on fire. And because the heat of the fire is so hot, the, the slaves inside, which you never see inside, mind you. This is all an exterior shooting this. Um, must try to move up the walls of this cylinder to get away from the heat. And therefore, it starts turning this giant cylinder, which turns out to be a form of a music box because of all the horns on it. And it starts playing like this deep sort of tonal music. And then in the closest thing to a camera move this film does, it sort of flips to the 180 side, uh, cuts to the 180 side. It's the reflection of the thing turning and you see doors open, and it's these white elderly people walking out and, like, watching it as entertainment. Yeah. And then you see a character that you've seen before serving drinks, and that he sort of helps tie it all back together. That's not really the important part. Um, and you can read a lot into this. What I read, and I'm going to butcher this, um, was it's actually – so uh, while it turns, you see a name, uh, B- Borelli yeah. or Bas- – Beldi. Beldi or, or something. What, what, what does so that So that is a mining company. In Sweden, and wow. apparently that's a there's a there's a there's a time and a place where this mining company just kept using slaves and throwing them into a into mining stuff just and they kept dying 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 wow. dying dying. That's so this amazing. is this is the this is their his callback to that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I. It's funny. It's 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 haunting and 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 horrifying, but like at the same time, it's very purposely. They're the only uh, people of color in the entire film are these slaves being thrown into this this giant music box uh, powered by heat and fire. Um, and it's terribly disturbing. And it's and I, it's 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 odd to me. There's a lot of there's a lot of things you can glean from it uh, in the sense of. Uh, I mean, you you can you can take that and this whole Swedish slavery mining thing, but you can put it to any oppressed people mm-hmm. with that had a oppressor benefit off of the oppression. It it, it also remind you know like it made me think about the way in you know on a meta level the way in which someone you know like pain all great art is someone else's pain not necessarily someone else you know like there's that adage that like comedy is. Pain plus time or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 whatever it is. Yeah. And this kind of just made me think, you know, because there's a point where the um, the oppressors, the the sort of safari wearing, uh, I'm guessing they're Swedish people, now look directly at the camera as this as this this big musical tube spins mm-hmm. and it produces this beautiful sound. It's like mm-hmm. a be- you know, like yeah. an incredibly beautiful sound. And I was thinking about like the sort of slightly tumultuous relationship people had with Twelve Years a Slave, you mm-hmm. know, which was like this. You know, I think a pretty masterful film about slavery. Right. But you know, like there's this sort of question mark around whether it exploits 
um, what happened to ple- you know to, to African American slaves um, in order to derive entertainment, and that's what this musical box in the film is. Is it's 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 using pain to derive entertainment and, yeah. and beautiful entertainment well, and I, art. I know? even took it in a sort of sidestep of that, in a sense. I know this wasn't what it was meant for. I knew there was a bigger meaning, especially when the name of a yeah, whatever I did, came I, across. I knew that right. the name meant something, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, the I was taking it as almost like the music industry, because it was a big thing of music. Like, you take artists yeah. and you run them through this, this, this you can, you barrage know, of, of like horror and, and whatever to sort of get their be- art out. Obviously, because they use the name of the mining company, it's a very direct oh, yeah. you know, indictment of that particular yeah. company. Yeah. But I think you know, like because maybe because we didn't, we don't know that history, we were able to extrapolate it into a much broader story. Right, right. Um, I mean, but you couldn't. You, it's it's oppressor versus oppressy or oppressed, yeah. I guess. Uh, and it's, it's 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 the hallmark of this film. Like, and it's it's interesting because. You know, you know what's interesting about it? It's the most powerful scene, mm-hmm. but it, I, maybe you can convince me otherwise, and I'd love it if you could. Uh, it also felt the most disconnected of, of from all of the other scenes, even though it had a character from the other scenes in it. I think to me, the way it tied together was that, you know, like as well as being this like giant tube that spins... Um, what the other character seems to be struggling with was the absurdity of his job. You know, like he's the salesperson who like goes out and sells these things and he's trying to help people, but he's not funny and he's not that interested in humor. Sure. And it's this sort of weird... He's selling humorous things, by the way. He's yeah. selling like gag jokes. A vampire teeth. Vampire teeth, a la- a bag of laughs, and mm-hmm. the uh one-toothed uncle rubber mask is his three <laughs> products. But but you know, like that kind of reminds me, you know, like sometimes in your in everyone's worst moments when they're working a job, mm-hmm. you often sit back and think, this is nuts. You know, like, I'm, you know, I, I'm very fortunate, which is that I, I get to do what I love. But there, is, if there are certain days where I'm like, this is just a grind. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I can imagine for, you know, I can extrapolate for other people that are doing jobs that they don't love that it is a grind. It's like, I'm going to work every day killing myself slowly in order to stay alive. Yeah. You know, and and the way that this this thing turns in order to keep people alive, you know, it, it seemed to reflect on this guy's existential dilemma. And he, you know, like, ostensibly, the film suggests that this is a dream, you know, that he has. He actually comes out and says, you know, I just had the most awful dream. Right, and but in he, this film, keep in mind, that could mean anything. Yeah, anything could be a dream in yeah. this film. And then he walks down the hallway shouting, is it, is it appropriate to derive pleasure from other people's pain? Or, you know, words to that effect. Um, and, and I think, you know, like when I think about work as well, you know, like, and, and the way that the... the, the you know, like they were the oil barons of the time, mm-hmm. kind of deriving just pure, pure pleasure from 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 other people's pain. Is it is it appropriate? And sometimes when I think about work, I think about it in those terms. You know, like again, I'm very lucky and yeah. I get to do. You know, I get to work in the field that I love. But but you know, well, we kill ourselves for our jobs sometimes, right? But it, and then there's also sort of the killing ourselves versus physically killing ourselves in the sense of like every time I'm having a bad day. I look back and I go, well, at least I'm not roofing anymore. Yeah. Like, but even beyond that, like the whole deriving pleasure from someone else's pain, you have to, it, what that what that scene made me really think about by the end of it when he's yelling that down the hall, mm. 
was kind of like, and and this is a weird sort of thing, and I don't think he meant it this deep, but like the fact that we were all in a movie theater, yeah, sitting and watching this film. If you go back, it it's on the backs of a lot of people's misery that that, that we are able to do that. I I was actually reading an article in Variety just this week about the the punishing hours of film production. Well, not even not even film production. I'm talking about like let's let's talk about like things for instance and this might be smaller scale large scale but like let's go with the technology that that allowed us to get to go see that film. Like I'm going to go I'm going to reach real quick and then we got to move on because yeah. we have a couple more things to talk about. Um I'm I'm talking about like what made what that made me think of was like wow getting me here took a lot of anguish from people like even the film and the whatever but then let's talk about the projector and how that was made it was probably made in a third world country somewhere where parts are super cheap and then even the phones that we were texting about going to like every little convenience we have the water we have you know food all that stuff was made by people that probably have harder lives than we do do, do are you a fan of Louis C.K. Yeah. Have you uh, one of his latest HBO specials? He ends it with what I what I think is a genius monologue. It's called the butt. May, well, I call it the butt maybe monologue, and the butt maybe monologue goes something along the lines. Um, very, uh, this is the terrible thing. Where, no, like, please you're trying to tell, do be as funny as Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah, be me. as funny as Louis C.K. But he, you know, like uh, I think he he has something in there uh, like uh, it's terrible when a soldier gets shot in war, but maybe if you're being shot at. Uh, and you are firing upon someone, it's half your fault. Right, no, I've heard this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then there's another one in there, which is that, you know, like, uh, it's terrible that uh, slaves are being exploited all over the world, but maybe most of humankind's greatest inventions come off the back of slavery. Yeah. Uh, Slavery. So, you know, it's that kind of like, it's it's one of those great jokes that makes you think about humanity. Yeah, and And, this scene makes you think about humanity. That's kind of what it is. And, you know, like, for all... Our difficulty with the story or our difficulty with, like, you know, fully engaging with this film, this scene has probably provoked more discussion, you know, on a philosophical level. Sure. Than either of the, th- <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, than any other film we've talked about, we're knowing very well that we've only we're talked only about, about two, films. two other films. Yeah, well, <laughs> whoops. Um, no, I agree. Um, and and one day maybe we'll review. Maybe the fourth film we review will have a ba- a more you know thought provoking uh, scene. But but also I think I think this this particular scene is so good and so powerful. Mm-hmm. It might be you know like the most thought provoking scene I've seen in a long time. Yeah, no, yeah. I'd agree with that. But again, I, I do have to go back to it felt for me very out of place and unconnected. But that yeah. didn't mean it wasn't. Good. It was, you know, whatever. If the scene, if if this was a web series and this was the first episode was just this scene. Oh my god! You might forward it to a million Holy people. Holy crap! Yeah. Um, all right, so that's sort of what we were getting into uh, with the sort of look and feel of the film. Now let's talk about the the biggest elephant in the room. I feel, <laughs> which is so we've talked about it. We've told you about it. This is what we asked people. We asked them if they would recommend it to go see, recommend it to see it this weekend, as opposed to say your entourages or your spies or what have you. I would love to see the box office mojo report for this. Oh film my god! All right, let's listen to what the people had to say. I think it's um, it is very special. So they had they had to to try. Yes, I would. I think that it's very thought provoking. And um, it's also conversation-provoking. Would you look? I would definitely recommend people seeing this, but they might hate me if I did. That's a 
damn good point. <laughs> That's a damn good point. Well, it, it's a, it leads to a broader conversation about the purpose of cinema in our lives. And I, I remember having a conversation with um, a friend of mine. It was me. It wasn't. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was one of those college room conversations where we were talking about how, like, when I got home at night, I wanted to see films that challenged me, that 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 made me that made me think. Okay, but so now, hold on, but, no, hold on. What, what, no, 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 it's a college gonna... conversation. It's a college, so you have to be like, it has to be this. Ready? Yeah. Bruh, bruh, bruh. When I, <laughs> bruh, when I get home, I want to like watch films that like challenge like the way I think. You know? Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, and, continue. Uh, so. But, but, uh, I was gonna say, have you seen the cat? <laughs> yeah, well, fuck. <laughs> but you know, I I I would always say that, and th- that's an obnoxious thing to say. And this other person, yeah. I, I the, the this other person I was talking to was like, yeah, but sometimes I want to come home and I just want to watch like something dumb and stupid because I'm tired. This sounds like me. Yeah. Did, did we have this conversation? And the funny thing is, the older I've gotten, the more I've been working. You know, like my Netflix queue is 400 films deep. And it has a lot of movies like Songs from the Second Floor on it sure. that I never clear off because I'll come home, I'll be real tired, and I'll be like, oh, I just want to watch an episode of Family Guy. Yeah. You know? And like tonight, I struggled through this film. I was like, oh, I'm really, I've done a full day today. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've got a lot of things in my it's mind. a lot of I'm, work. I'm really tired. And then, you know, but, but oh, I- Oh, this entertainment is making me think? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is that if all cinema was- this thought provoking and tried to like right. really you know would would the world be a better place no no i taught i don't even know if you know this shahir but <laughs> i was a counselor at a film video photo and computer arts summer camp called the nissa program it's a great program for kids in new york state basically it takes the most talented artists in those fields and it might have even expanded by now this was in college mm-hmm. i did this and it makes them uh, it, it it's a month long course that you bring these kids. I think they're between the ages of like even fourteen to eighteen. Like it's high school range kids, mm-hmm. and they go and they live on a college dorm for a month. And each day they have classes taught by insanely talented teachers. And then we have guest speakers every night um, that came in and and spoke about everything. And it was some of the most interesting, thought provoking art, art, art stuff that I've ever watched or experienced and these kids so gifted and they're all doing all like my kids that were like the the my my campers as it were were uh they're they're doing amazing things right now in film video and photo like it's nuts the things they're doing uh but my point was this i got into a very large argument with one of my favorite professors bob harris at my college bob harris and i got into a uh, a bit of an argument because uh, at nighttime, sometimes after the kids had finished all their work, I would sneak them all into the movie theater that we had at the campus that we were on, and we would watch uh, Jim Cotta. We would watch Wet Hot American Summer. We would watch Ninja Turtles. And he and I butted heads. He's like, this is an art school. We're supposed to be teaching them about stuff. We're supposed to be teaching them about great cinema. And then I got into the whole thing. I'm like, well, what is art? Because I was a college student. I thought I knew <laughs> what the fuck I was talking about. But the bigger question is... And, and this is my answer, and I think what you said is very, very true to this. It's you cannot have thought-provoking shit thrown at you all the damn time because if you do, you will come to prevent you will you will come to resent being provoked for thought. Like you need you need sugar bullshit so you can better appreciate the stuff that will make you think. That's- and it's not to say that sometimes they can't match. Yeah. I th- I think that's true. I just I 
and I certainly I certainly agree with that. We can't have caviar all every day. We need to have a cheeseburger every now and again. Right. Uh, not that so caviar. So many analogies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I think as well that there is there is a tendency, or there is at least recently, a tendency for films to. I, I'm starting to feel like a lot of movies are making me dumber. You know, like are are pur- like not purposely making me dumber, but are making me think so little to an extent and deadening me with so much. You know, like that's on you. That maybe it is on me. You know, but they're deadening me with like just huge, loud explosions and well, sexy women well, and people dying by guns and bullets, and it's like. Am I? Is it doing any good to me to watch? That this? brings up a very interesting question. So let's talk about this film: a pigeon uh, sat on a branch, reflecting on existence, or Entourage. Let's talk about sort of the dichotomy between that, because mm. think about it this way: they're both, honestly, and I believe this statement intrinsically, <laughs> and you can argue it to the cows come home. I don't think it's going to change my mind. They are both about the human experience. <laughs> they uh, are, I, but I, here's the difference: <laughs> one is the human experience that we sort of see in the media that everyone sort of wants to attain them, like the mm. sort of like on an on a animalistic level, they want sort of that. Yeah. And one is the deeper emotional level, uh, you know, that is, that comes to when you actually reflect on yourself as a person and you have Ari Gold as a boss. No, but, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? So like they are both truly about the human experience. Now, one is more relatable because more people can relate to wanting a certain thing because that's easier. That's yeah. the sort of easy path. And the other is obviously not. But then... Th- now Wait, but, I've, I've oh, lost which one's which. I know, right? <laughs> See? No. So you're going to need another beer for this because which one is more true of humanity? This is... I, but then I think the 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 extension of what you're saying is that every film is about the human experience. No, I'm saying <laughs> this film we just watched and on the Entourage <laughs> movie are both about the human experience. I mean, yes, you can broaden it, but that's not what I'm saying. They're both about what we what humans feel and want. Right. I, I mean, I I have to be honest. I you know, like I've I've seen one season of Entourage many many years ago, and I never like went back to it. I think oh, Entourage. It, I think the like when I saw the trailer for the Entourage film, I thought, "Oh, that looks like fun." And if I knew these characters really well, I'd probably enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But also, the other part of me thought, "This is Six in the City for guys, right?" Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And do you think Six in the City was like good for people? The movies, just at least. I think he, this is what I'll, this is what I'll say. I'm going to bring <laughs> it back is, to Entourage. Is Six in the City about the human experience. <laughs> kind of, but, but again, it's about the human experience that we think we want or we know we think we want. I don't know, whatever. This is what I'll say. I think the Entourage film will make people happier than this film will make them. Sure. That doesn't necessarily mean it's better. Yeah, that's like saying um, uh, eating a bowl of sugar is going to make people happier than a bowl of uh, kale. Sure. <laughs> so, But what I'm saying is I, I just wonder... As a species, where we are today, what is more reflective of the true human experience? I don't know. No, I don't. No, and and it's, and it's obnoxious of me to suggest, uh, in any way, shape, or form, that 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 we should all be watching a pigeon, you know, uh, sat on a branch, reflecting existence every, you know, or films like that right. every night. But I, I just, 
I think, you know, like it would have been the great thing is that you did agree to do it. I am very impressed by that. And I'm I'm impressed that you indulged me. I'm not a monster. <laughs> because because I did have that experience when we were watching it, which was like, oh God, he hates it. He's no, gonna think there I'm was a- great aspects. And look, we're running out of time. Uh, I do want no, I mean, thanks for suggesting it. We needed we needed something different. And and to be completely honest, whether or not whatever film is more, you know, reflective of the human existence, this is a much more interesting film to discuss, I feel like, than Entourage. Because otherwise, we're just going to be talking about, oh, man, when drama banged that chick, dude, it was so fucking funny. <laughs> like, who gives a shit? So, um, in summation, just real quick, um, you know, even though this wasn't my cup of tea, uh, I think anyone who can appreciate sort of the beauty and the visual aspects of film, and actually, there was some great sound design in this movie, too. Uh, and the music was very, very catchy. Um, but, uh, I, I think people like like our like our friends in the street said should challenge themselves to go see it because it is something that even if you don't like eighty percent of it, I gar- I guarantee anyone that sees this film will like twenty percent of it. <laughs> and and that's, <laughs> that's a hard a, that's a hard sell. No, but that's think a about low that. margin. But no, no, but also in that twenty percent is going to make you think more than most other films will make you think. And that I think is ooh, lots of things. Yeah, lots of thinking. Um, I think is important. And I think we need a break from from the mac and cheese from time to time. Exactly. And that was my point. Was that I think you know I didn't. I would happily happily watch Entourage and you know like I'm going and, to see it Sunday by the way. Yeah, and I would happily watch it, but I kind of I want this podcast, the only podcast about movies. Right, because to, yeah. Yeah, to not just be about what's playing you know, in the you know, in the in the multiplex, about you know what's 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 got the most screens, right? But chances are, next week we'll probably do a bigger movie than this. Yeah, well, it'll be cur- you know, like uh, to to look at it from a market point of view, it'll be curious to see how many people listen to this one, right? Versus how many people of listen course, to Mad Max course. or something like that. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's pretty much it we got on that. Oh, by the way, I promised that my dad would do a review of. Kung Fury. Fury. He did agree to do it, but he had a busy week, so we're gonna we're gonna play it next week. He did watch it, and I told him to not tell me about it until we recorded. It. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Um, but anyway, sorry. Uh, I guess final thoughts here. I'm on this film. I said mine. Listen, uh, if I, I I love the trilogy, and I think Songs from the Second Floor is amazing. It really like changed my life. If you're if you can't make it to the theater to see any of these, um. Watch Roy Anderson's trailer uh, commercials on on YouTube. Okay, and and that's a great starting point. If you enjoy those, then take it to the next level after that. But okay. I think it's a uh, look. That's that one scene that we've been talking about uh, with music being derived from people's pain, pain is is absolutely stunning and is one of the most profoundly beautiful scenes I've seen in my life. Okay. Well, guys and girls, this has been the only podcast about movies, uh, and this is the edition, uh, the the Apso Aberon edition. That is a pigeon sat on a branch, reflecting on existence. Um, let's see, Shahir, you got us, uh, you got us an email address. People can email us. Okay, we're we're starting to get more real about this. Shit just got real, yo. R E E L. We have an email address, we have a Facebook account, and we have a Twitter account. That's insane. Okay. This week, you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. And here's a little incentive for you. What? If you can, if the first person to email us at onlymoviepodcast 
at gmail.com that is from the continental United States and happens to be close to an AMC movie theater will get two free tickets to AMC to any AMC movie of their choice. You've lost your goddamn mind, Shahir. I know. That's crazy, isn't it? And I'm going to put a caveat on your free movie tickets. If you go see a movie on our dime, you have to record an audio review of that film in one minute. That is what I'm going to say, and then we're going to play it, and then it's going to be fun. Awesome. So that, uh, please email us, first person to do it. It will be uh, a good damn time. Only uh, movie podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And what's our Twitter and our other nonsense? We have a Twitter at OnlyMoviePod, and we have a Facebook page, The Only Podcast About Movies. Wow, we're just all over the damn place. Shahir, if people want to find you outside of podcasting about movies, being the only one, of course, where could they find you? Check me out at my webpage, www.shahirdowd.com, which is S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. All right. Uh, I can be found at MatthewKroll.com. We have such original names. Also, uh, Skeletor4Prez, the number four in the middle, and then P-R-E-Z is my Instagram, and also EmperorMSK on Twitter. Please tweet, insta, whatever the hell to me, and tell me about movies that you're seeing. Tell me about if you saw a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. I would love to hear from other people that have seen this film before they listen to this thing. Hell, after this thing would be great. And you'll get two free movie tickets. Well, if you're the first one. <laughs> yeah, well, That's the thing. So, viewer, listener, discretion advised. Anyway, um, this has been the longest episode <laughs> of the only podcast about movies. Uh, so, I mean, I, we're going over a little bit. I think we're like an hour, three minutes. <gasps> our producers are going to kill us. We're going to lose our advertising budget. Wait, there's none of that. <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Matthew Kroll. My name's Shahir Dowd. And thank you for taking a journey into the human experience with us this week. Next week... I bet you there's going to be some sugar. And no pigeons. Maybe a pigeon. Ooh, that's a pigeon noise. I think I'm more of a cat. Wait, that's a dolphin. <laughs>